This is the first Sunday in Lent. Notice that we say in Lent and not of Lent, like first Sunday of Advent. And some of you may wonder, well, why do you say in Lent and not of Lent? And the reason we do is because Sundays in Lent don't count as being in Lent. <laughs> so if you're of this particular temperament and you have undertaken some hair-raising austerity for the 40 days of Lent, you get a pass on Sundays. Some people say, well, that just isn't right and I'm going to continue to have these hair-raising austerities, and that's fine. But you do get a pass on Sunday, a Sunday in Lent. What I'm going to do is talk a little bit about what I preached about on Ash Wednesday, and I preach usually the same thing on Ash Wednesday, uh, but it sets us up with, with regard to the purpose of the season of Lent, uh, the, the whole of the focus of Lent uh, over the time that the, the uh, season has developed, and then to focus on the uh, gospel, because every first Sunday in Lent, we read the story of the temptation of Christ, one of the Mark, Matthew, Mark, or Luke versions of the temptation of Christ. And I'm going to use my old standby, Father Thomas Keating, to talk about how we might understand what the significance spiritually is of this uh, for our own interior life and for the community of faith we call the church. So that's sort of the plan. However, I, I listened this morning again at 8 and then at 9 to the um, reading from Romans. And I thought I might say something about this because it has something to do, uh, as Paul does in Romans, with faith. And we need to always remind ourselves, I think, of something that's important, particularly in the solemn seasons like Lent. And that is that faith precedes belief systems. Faith precedes belief systems. And what that means is, is that as you go along and you go through suffering and trials and everything and you think to yourself, well, I need to have faith or I wish I had more faith, most of us have a natural predisposition towards faith, some some palpable uh, feeling that uh, there is something bigger than I am out there and that um, a pr this presence is, is important. And when I connect up with Christianity or even some, some other faith system, you begin to see we call this faith. And now we're going to talk about what it is, the nature of it, within the, within the context of this particular faith tradition. So we're going to talk about Christianity, which is what I'm a professional, a professional Christian, talking about what it means to uh, understand faith in that context. So keep that in mind when you think about, uh, think about all of this, because the, the belief systems have come after this basic belief. The people of Israel were wandering in the desert uh, and they were haunted by a presence. 
So they begin now to give a voice to this, and they begin to sort of bring it into some kind of an understanding. I'm not going to preach about Deuteronomy, but it means the second law. That's what that book means. And so it's a, it's a description of how the law became now somehow an agency, began to become a belief system that held this presence, Yahweh, and the belief that somehow they had um, an intense relationship with Yahweh. And they were haunted, not in uh, only an anxious sense, but in a kind of reassured sense that um, something bigger than themselves was looking out for them <coughs> and unconditionally loved, accepted, and forgave them. It's the beginning of all that. We begin with the season of Lent, Ash Wednesday, the first uh, of the cycle in the Christian year. So we do it out of order. Um, Advent, Christmas, Epiphany starts the Christian year. And then uh, Lent, Easter, Pentecost uh, moves us through the end of the year, and then we start with Advent again. So we're beginning now with this preparatory season, which sort of grew out of Easter, sort of a pre-Easter uh, celebration. Actually, it was just Holy Week. One of the great things about the Episcopal Church, uh, as it participated in the, in the liturgical renewal of Western churches, was that it added in its prayer book these services of Holy Week, which were the very ancient uh, preparatory times before Easter. And then Lent grew uh, uh, after that. And it was a season of preparation both for our interior emotional, spiritual, and mental states, but it was also a preparation for the community of faith and originally, Lent started as a preparation or the final intense preparation for the people that were going to be candidates for baptism. So prior to Constantine in 314 AD, we had the normative age for baptism, adulthood. All right? And in a number of places, it was a three-year preparation and you were enrolled in something called the catechumenate. And after three years, you were baptized, and the last period of preparation was what we now call Lent. So that was the thing in which people were focused on. And so by extension, the community that was already baptized were reflecting on the promises they made at their baptism to see how well they did. And if they had fallen short, how could they repair the break between themselves and God through their sinful behavior? What was it that they could do? That was focus number one. 314 AD comes. Now we got most of the adults baptized in the Roman Empire because Christianity was not only tolerated now, it was the only legal religion in the Roman Empire. So we had always baptized infants and young children, but now that was mostly the pool from which we took uh, the baptismal candidates. And so we wanted to focus on something else, and what it was was um, almsgiving, fasting, um, prayer, and thinking about how far we'd fallen short of the mark 
you know. So that became the focus of the Latin discipline. And for many centuries, that's what it was. And in some places, it still is the major focus. Maybe those of you who were raised in a tradition where there was Lent and you thought about it, you thought, well, that was what it is I need to do. I need to sort of get right with God and think about all the bad things I've done and uh, get somehow renewed in this process. And, you know, that can't hurt and it might help. But it also has something to do with the renewal of, of what you promised at your baptism. Not all churches in the Anglican Communion have a baptismal covenant. And they have a, an, an understanding of uh, baptism and its effects that is very much shaped by the, the uh, Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. And during the liturgical renewal, when we brought baptism back into the center of our common life, we began to realize that there was something more than cosmic spot remover involved here. That we understood that being baptized is being grafted onto the body of Christ, as Paul said, but it also invested us uh, with special responsibilities and obligations. It did not vest us with privileges only. And sometimes people who are Christians get the idea that they have now been vested with special privileges, but they forget that there are responsibilities and obligations. And one of the most important responsibilities and obligations is to understand in what way can you be an instrument of bringing the values of the kingdom of God in Christ to the world, to those near and dear to you and to the wider world, to labor for justice, freedom, and peace that that is what is at the center of the Savior's preaching in his earthly ministry. The middle bits between his birth and his crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension. And how do we become part of that? So Lent is an important season to reflect on those things. And it's very difficult after such a heavy period of programming, many, many centuries, to say, I, don't, I, I, can't, I shouldn't be just focusing on my own internal, personal shortcomings, as important as they are. Now, what I'm going to read to you in a minute when we get to the temptation of Jesus is going to have a lot to do with your interior purification. So we don't want to always think about the desert as a geographical location. But we think about the desert as a place of interior purification as we seek to get more clarity about uh, who we are and what God wants us to do. So if you were to say, what would spiritual progress look like after this kind of self-examination, repentance? Uh, the, the major themes I talk about on Ash Wednesday always are repentance, reconciliation, and godly motives. So if you work on those things personally, what does that mean? How would you be able to see if there's a difference? And one of the ways that you could see that, that there's a difference is that you are now beginning to take personal responsibility for your own being and destiny. That your own being and destiny is not in somebody else's hands. The great saints of God knew that they were dependent upon no one for their salvation except God. Right? 
And if we think about it, when we get confused about where we begin and end and other people begin and end, we get confused about how we get saved. That is dependent on somebody else. And maturity means to take responsibility for your own being and destiny. So let's go to the temptation in the wilderness. <coughs> Jesus goes, he's driven into the wilderness. It's interesting, this happens right after his baptism. He's baptized in the River Jordan by John, and he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Now, let's see if we can dot the I's and cross the T's and put two and two together. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days to get the tablets. Right? And Lent is 40 days long. Do you think there's any connection between this? <laughs> it just, you know, as people evolved, they just sort of did this, right? From a spiritual, symbolic, and interior point of view, we're following the Savior on the way. We're going into the desert with him for 40 days, right? Jesus went for 40 days because in the great tradition of his people, Moses was on the mountain. All the great leaders had periods. There's, I think, a light in the Elijah-Elisha cycle, there's a 40-day period in this as well. So he goes into the desert and he is there for 40 days to pray. By the way, this is also one of the reasons we find an enormous emphasis laid on the, the, prayer, the life of prayer, the origin of uh, intentional religious communities that began to evolve in the first 200 years of Christianity, where people undertook to live now either by themselves or in communities and to live the life of religion as it ultimately became known as. So here's what Keating says. Jesus redeemed us from the consequence of our emotional programs for happiness by experiencing them himself. As a human being, he passed through the pre-rational stages of developing human consciousness, immersion in matter, the emergence of a body self, and the development of conformity consciousness over identification with one's family, nation, ethnic group, and religion. He had to deal with the particular but limited values of each level of human development, from infancy to the age of reason, without, of course, ever ratifying with his will their illusory projects for happiness. Now, when St. Augustine talked about temptation, you know, he was pretty rigorous. Augustine said, temptation has three parts. The first part in Latin is suggestio, suggestion. The second part is delectatio, delight. And the third part is consensus. Go for it. All right? Now, clearly, when Augustine got into this elaborate, all this business and writing about it, he was talking about this and said, you probably should cut this thing off at suggestio, and certainly at delectatio, you need to just halt with this sort of thing. But I mention it here because uh, 
when we think about what Keating has said, um, he's speaking about ratifying with his will. You know? So in the old catechisms years ago at St. Michael's School, which you used to teach the kids, what is the soul? The soul is the reason and the will. So when you stop to think about your own behavior and the effect on your emotional, spiritual, and mental states, your will has a lot to do with it, doesn't it? Now, one of the mistakes we make as part of the ratification process, or lack of it, is that we believe that we can will change in others. So if people are not doing the stuff they should be doing, or you want them to do, you believe you could will them to change, you know? I've talked to a lot of people in my ministry who were about to be married, did a lot of weddings at Christ Church Sausalito, I, and they would talk about difficulties that they were having and all of the kinds of things and the inevitable answer many people would have. I know he's like this now, but after we're married, <laughs> I can change. He'll, he will not do this anymore. I'll be able to work on it, you know? And there may be some people who have pointed to some minor successes in the course of this thing. But about the major stuff, not always. And we know that we can't will change in others. And Jesus did not ratify with his will the temptations that he received, about which Father Keating terms the uh, three energy centers are irrational programs for happiness that emerge from our interior life, all of the disappointments and frustrations and all of the kinds of things we talk about from our childhood, right, appear to be stored in the central nervous system. And so sometimes when you're quieter by yourself or you're contemplating, they rise up and just scare the daylights out of us or almost overwhelm us with anxiety. Can't They can. Father Keating says, when that happens, if you're contemplating and this comes up and you see it, go like that. Bye-bye. May take more than one try at this. What do you think? But at least it's an idea. Security and survival, affection and esteem, power and control. And if you think about the major temptations that we read in the text, you see that they all have to do with those things. The bread and the stone, security and survival. Looks at the, all the kingdoms of the world. These can be all yours. You'll be the head of everything. I can assure you of this. Affection and esteem. And now come up to the pinnacle in Jerusalem and throw yourself off. And I'll protect you. Power and control. So all of us, when we think about the things that tempt us, are usually around the three energy centers, which govern most of uh, our existence. These never go away because we need to be able to have some mastery over them in order to function highly as human beings and to achieve the highest of our human potential. But I've always thought that it would be a wonderful thing if we could be like St. Anthony in the desert when they came out and they saw him, and the, and the bottom line after all this was he was a man completely at home with himself.
That might be the best thing that you could say. And also the hardest to achieve. A man completely at home with himself. You know? Not particularly happy to see the people. Not particularly unhappy to see him. Not wasted with austerities and anxious moments. A man completely at home with himself. You know, Lent may be a time to uh, ask the question, all of us, what is it that makes us restless and discontent? Augustine called it concupiscence. That somehow, as good as things, you know, Ed Friedman used to say, when things are going really well, watch out! <laughs> right? <laughs> So the question is, what is it that makes us restless and not content and believing that there's, the grass is always greener on the other side? You know? And I think those things have something to do with character. If you understand one of the definitions of character, which is to live your life according to certain principles. And sometimes it takes us all a lifetime to discover what those principles are and which one, which are, what are useful for us. So Jesus was able to overcome these temptations. And as Keating says, he lived through all of this. So we can say that uh, if he did, we can. Because he's the best human being we've ever seen. We believe that in our faith tradition. That's how one of the things about our faith that comes together in a belief system. We think that in this man we have seen the unique focus of the divine presence as Christian people in a human body. And by extension, we can understand that as the template that we lay over our own spiritual life and development. So I would suggest on the first Sunday of Lent and moving into the week that you take a peek at your emotional programs for happiness and uh, that Jesus has been everywhere that we have been. And that if we follow him, we can go everywhere and we continue to be unconditionally loved, accepted, and forgiven. Amen. Amen.